You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Um, so I, I want to kind of tag on to, uh, again, what you just saw and actually um, give us a, a little bit more of a biblical framework uh, for it, um, rather than, again, assuming uh, that you're understanding what you're seeing, um, especially if, if you're not a Christian, you're here, um, and you're kind of going, man, this is interesting, this is different, um, or even if you are a Christian, but you come from a different kind of denominational background and have a different view on a handful of things um, that lead to that expression looking different or even using different words, okay? Um, there's a reason we say uh, child dedication um, versus baptism or things like that, okay? Um, a couple weeks ago, we were in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 4, uh, and it, these, these verses give us kind of a, a picture of what it looks like to parent in light of the gospel. When the gospel gets into a household, it starts to transform things. Okay, uh, and it transforms um, how parents should interact and, and um, relate to and raise their kiddos. Okay, uh, and the principle in Ephesians six one through four um, was ultimately, when we looked at it, um, that, that parents aren't supposed to stir up their kids, but they're supposed to build them up, bring them up. Okay, that they are called to not exacerbate, um, but to equip; not to provoke, but prepare; not to frustrate, but to foster. And specifically, that passage says, uh, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Um, what is that? What does that really mean, right? If this is like a massive charge and responsibility to parents to bring your kiddos up in the training and the instruction of the Lord, what might that look like? So I just want to give us a, a, a picture of it in Scripture, okay? Um, this has been God's design for his people from before he ever had a people, okay? That one generation would bring up the next to know, love, and follow the Lord, right? God's design is that one generation would pass it on to the next, that it wouldn't be lost from generation to generation what God has done, okay? So you see this uh, early on in Scripture. You see this in Genesis 18 uh, with Abraham, the father of the faith. Before he actually ever had a family, um, you see this numerous times in Deuteronomy um, with Moses and the nation of Israel, Abraham's family that became a people, okay? Deuteronomy 4, 6, 11, 32. Um, and then in the New Covenant, um, you see this awesome picture in 2 Timothy. And this is what I want to kind of point you to, uh, again, if you're a parent in this room. Um, and you see it in the Apostle Paul's encouragement to uh, his ministry uh, apprentice Timothy, okay? This is what 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 16 says. Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, right? The Apostle Paul actually begins this letter addressing Timothy as a dearly loved son, and he writes, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. 
What I like about 2 Timothy is it gives a picture of what it looks like when a child is brought up in the training instruction of the Lord. Do you catch that? Do you catch the generational discipleship that's even pictured in that book? Okay? From Lois to Eunice to Timothy. There's three generations of the gospel being passed on. Well, in this specific instance, it wasn't the gospel just yet, but it was the hope of what was to come, right? And then Jesus answered all those questions. So Lois to Eunice to Timothy. And not only that, 2 Timothy gives us a picture of not just a, a parent's responsibility or a grandparent's responsibility, but of, of a spiritual community's responsibility to come alongside, okay? Um, because you see Paul's relationship to Timothy in 2 Timothy, okay? Um, that, that, that Paul is a, a spiritual father, not a physical father, um, and he's coming alongside Timothy. And, and this is what I want you to hear, parents. Nothing can replace you when it comes to the spiritual nurturing of your kiddos. Like that position is so integral, okay? But it's hard to do it alone, okay? And usually there's a, there's a third person that comes alongside mom and dad. And in my story, it was a youth pastor named Miguel, okay? There's somebody that comes alongside and reinforces and affirms what mom and dad are already saying. And, and you'll probably get the, you know, and hopefully you'll get the experience of your kiddos just like, man, understand the gospel and their hearts are just lit aflame by it. And they come home and they're like, you won't believe this. And you're like, I've been saying that for like 15 years. But no, he is a genius. Yeah, that guy, right? But that's a great, great thing to have. Um, people that can come around side, alongside your kiddos, come alongside you, and reinforce what hopefully you've been instilling for years, just slowly and faithfully, okay? Again, it may be a youth pastor. It may be a college discipler. It may be an older brother and sister in the Lord. It may be a, a children's volunteer uh, in E-Kids, but it's so important for the church to realize that that supporting role is not as important, but it is certainly important in relation to the parents, in relation to the training and instruction of the Lord. So 2 Timothy, um, I would just encourage you as parents, um, just go read the book. It's tiny, it's short, uh, and think about the generations of the discipleship there uh, and what that would look like, okay? So um, I'm going to do a hard right turn, okay, because that is not at all uh, what I wanted to talk about this morning. Um, I want to talk about work, work, um, Man, if you've been with us any length of time, we've been in Ephesians for a while, okay? Uh, and if you have a Bible, I'm going to be uh, in the last couple of verses uh, of Ephesians. We're actually going to close out our series that we've titled uh, Union and look at the last couple, um, last couple of verses. But, but we've been looking at this idea of work, uh, at least we did last week uh, and we will this week, um, because uh, ultimately um, work is really, really important. Um, we're going to spend half of our waking hours working, um, and the Bible actually says a lot about work, um, and as we walked through this Union Sermon Series over these past couple months, um, I skipped over some of this stuff, and so last week I kind of did a little addendum and went back into Ephesians, and we looked at um, what I was calling work redeemed, but how the Bible uh, redeems our work. If God creates work as good, but sin frustrates it, there's redemption in the gospel for our work. This morning, I want to look at uh, redemption work, kind of the, the mirror of that or the parallel of that. 
Uh, and I think this is important for us as Americans because we often define ourselves by our work, don't we? Uh, we find such significance in our work that we treat it as an identity, um, especially in America, okay? Uh, we answer the question with what do you do uh, with an answer such as we are. That's an identity answer, okay? So we get a lot of identity uh, out of our work as Americans. Um, we even get uh, a lot of times a sense of salvation out of our work as Americans. It's a primary pursuit in our lives. Our careers are everything. Um, we want to move up the ladder because we think that once we get to the top of it, there's, there's almost a, a sense of heaven, okay? Um, and in a sense, we, we can wrongly worship work. Um, the Bible's clear that we should worship through our work, but not worship work. And so that's one ditch that we talked about uh, last week. The other ditch uh, is worshiping uh, apart from our work, okay? And so you can worship work, and this is so true in, in a college town, right, in Bloomington, uh, with academia, with, with athletics, um, where work can just become all-consuming uh, to our identity. Um, but then you get this other um, ditch that we talked about last week about worship being completely severed from our work. And I compared it to kind of white-collar, blue-collar a lot of times. Um, okay? Um, if you're maybe a downline, not an upline, if you're managed, you're not management, a lot of times um, you don't really see um, a lot uh, in your work. And so you come to church and your worship is a, a Sunday thing but not a weekday thing. And we looked at how the gospel challenges both those ideas, okay? So that was last week looking at work redeemed. What I want to do this morning um, in the next kind of 25 minutes is just look at redemption work, okay? Uh, I want to look at the other side to that, or maybe a better way to put it um, is the Bible talks about everyone having a creation work, okay? Um, that, that God created Adam and Eve in the beginning. God worked, and then Adam and Eve worked Right in the garden, in paradise, there was work. It's really cultivation uh, and a stewardship of what God's given us. It's a exercising of what's called the the dominion mandate. Okay, but then there's new creation work. Now that the gospel uh, has 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 been spread uh, to the earth, Christians are invited um, not just to um, order creation, but to build the new creation. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so there's creation work that all people, whether or not they're aware of it, uh, are involved in just as, as, as being um, creatures um, made by the hand of God. But Christians uniquely are to have a redemption work, a new creation work, a new creation ministry. And that's what I want to look at here in these last couple uh, verses of Ephesians. So uh, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I'm going to be in the last couple of verses, verses 21 through 24. Um, if you're new to the Bible, you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, don't be shy about stopping by the table of contents um, for directions. If you have a, a app, you can open it up. Um, but uh, I want again to, again, kind of tease out the idea of, of work um, in light of the gospel, okay? Creation work versus new creation work. Work redeemed versus redemption work. Um, and again, last week, um, we looked at like the Apostle Paul, uh, and I said very clearly, I think, Apostle Paul was a tent maker, okay? Um, you know, which is interesting to think. Like, it's almost maybe more akin to, like, you know, if you've been to Jumpin' Joey's and, and, and the blow-ups in there. Like, the Apostle Paul made those things, right? He's just very average work, okay? Actually, that's more than average. Those things are really impressive, you know? Um, crocodiles, snakes, all that kind of stuff. But, but, and he, he stitched those things up to the glory of God. And that was just as God-honoring 
and glorifying, okay, as his church planning work, his disciple making work. All right, or um, the, the, the inner three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Yes, they were fishers of men, but they were also fishermen. And the way they cast their nets into the sea, the way they fed their communities and their families um, was just as worshipful as the fishing for men, okay? So, so I want us to hold those things kind of in tension appropriately. Um, Jesus, a, a rabbi, but yes, a carpenter, the way he, he whittled a stool was just as glorifying to God in a lot of ways, is the way he taught the law, okay? But I want to talk about that back half, the, the fisher of men, the, the disciple-making, the taught-the-law side, the work of redemption, and what this little section of Ephesians gives us a picture of. I'm going to read a quote again from last week. This is kind of, again, part two of a second part series on work. So if you haven't listened to the sermon, you can grab it on our website or wherever you get your podcast. But this is from Richard Koken, and he writes this. He writes, the Bible teaches that we all have a creation ministry, serving God and responsibly harvesting and developing this earth, and that every believer also has a new creation gospel ministry seeking opportunities to explain the gospel, which can save people from hell for heaven for eternity. Both of those are godly ministries, but Jesus made the gospel ministry his priority because the forgiveness of sins is our greatest human need. All right, I want to introduce you to a man named Tychicus. Anybody know Tychicus? Anybody in here named Tychicus? No, we got a, a few Pauls, a few Peters, but no Tychicus. This is what I love about Tychicus. He has a name that was forgotten, but a legacy that wasn't, right? He has a name that was forgotten, but a legacy that wasn't. You see, Tychicus is actually all throughout your Bible, all throughout your New Testament. You've read past his name a million times, Okay. And he's not just here in Ephesians, but we're actually introduced to him first in Acts 20. And so if you're uh, somebody that wants to flip through your Bible, you can. If not, you can just kind of go with me. But Tychicus uh, is actually seen in your Bible, uh, in our Bible, in Acts 24 through 5. And it says this. It says, he was accompanied, he being Paul, by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, and from Berea. I'm not even going to say all these names. It doesn't matter. All right. Tychus is one of two, and this is what's important, he's one of two men from Asia. And Asia is not a, a continent then and there, it's a, a jurisdiction, a region, um, which is kind of on the western coast of modern day Turkey, and the capital city in that region is Ephesus. The book of Ephesians is written to this church in there, okay? And so Tychus is introduced to us in Acts 20, um, him and Tremifu are from the, promise, uh, excuse me, from the province of Asia, and they most likely are from Ephesus, okay, this leading city. And Paul has just come through and spent two plus years in this city doing his most fruitful ministry, okay? And if you read the context, this is Acts 19 leading up to it, it says that, that, that Paul started with preaching the gospel as was his custom in the synagogues to Jews, going, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises. And then when the Jews didn't want to hear it anymore, he went to the Gentiles, and he went to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And it says this amazing statement. It says, all the residents of Asia, this entire region, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. All right, so Paul has this incredibly fruitful ministry from which Tychicus comes from. It's such a fruitful ministry, and the Spirit's work in there is so significant that you see two things in Acts 19. You see revival and riot. There's a revival that goes on with the Christians where they're literally taking their 
their, their, their books that have incantations and just like demonic stuff in it, and they're burning it at just great cost to themselves, okay? There's just like walking in the light, public repentance, okay? It's just this beautiful thing. And then there's riot amongst the unbelievers because the gospel is such, uh, so transformative um, that people start to see Artemis, the great goddess of the Ephesians, for the false god that she always was. And they stop buying the wares, and so Demetrius, the silversmith, uh, starts a riot, right? Um, if you know the story, and, and he's upset because he's worried he's, he's, he's out of a job. Because the gospel is literally turning this city and this region upside down. And Tychicus gets to experience this. And he starts to work with Paul. He becomes his traveling companion as a fellow church planner and evangelist, okay? So we see Tychicus first in Acts. Next we see him here in Ephesians, but then we see him in Colossians, which is this mirror book to Ephesians. And it says a, a similar thing about Tychicus. It calls him a dearly loved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord, okay? And then we see him again in Titus chapter 3, verse 12. We see him again in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Again, a name to be forgotten, but a legacy that is not. But it's what is, it is what's in Ephesians 6 that I think is interesting to us this morning. So I'm going to read for us. This is our passage, and I just want to kind of break down a few things uh, for us um, to leave us with. But this is Ephesians 6, 21 through 24. This is what it says. It says, Tychicus. Our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, he'll tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I'm sending him to you. Again, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all who have an undying love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask a few questions and answer them. Again, who is Tychicus? Why is it, uh, excuse me, what is he doing and why does it matter? Who is Tychicus? What is he doing and why does it matter? And I'll I'll tie it back uh, to us, okay? Um, Right, so Tychicus is is visiting churches. Um, He's church tending, if you will. Um, If if him and Paul are, are church planning, they're starting new works. Part of their strategy is to go back and reinforce these new works to tend the plant, if you will, uh, that they planted, okay? They're watering, they're fertilizing, they're even pruning, right? First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is kind of a pruning um, book, if you will, for those churches. And this is part of Paul's and his traveling companion's strategy, and Tychicus is a part of this. Tychicus is cultivating God's new creation work, right? But he's doing it by updating the church in Ephesus, these new Christians of this new church plant, and he's doing it by encouraging hearts, okay? What I find so striking um, about all this, okay, is, is who he is and what he's doing and that it couldn't be done in the letter. All right, and I just want you to think about this for a second, okay? Um, Paul is writing all these powerful letters. Paul's written, his letters make up two-thirds of your New Testament, And clearly, Paul and Tychicus both think that the encouraging of hearts can't be done just through this letter. I mean, and look, I read these letters and my heart's aflame at times, okay? I mean, I'm sure you do too. If you open up the scriptures, you just go, wow. But there's something about 
this church work, this new creation work, that Tychus has to be there in person. He has to get there face to face, okay? Um, there's something that can't be communicated through the medium of just writing a letter. And if you're gonna kind of bring this to modern day, like as awesome as like a TikTok might be, right? Or, or a DM or a message on Slack or an email um, or even like a FaceTime, okay? The Apostle Paul and Tychus are going like, hey, look, this is good to communicate some things, but like you need to show up. You need to show up and you need, to, you need to share with that church all that God's doing outside the province of Asia. All the church planning that's going on, all the church cultivating that's going on, and you need to encourage their hearts because following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is difficult, okay? So this is what Tychus is doing. Who is he? He's this dearly loved brother. He's this faithful servant. He's one of the Ephesians, and now he's going back to this church and spending a significant amount of his time showing up. And I don't know about you, but man, I only vacation with family. Like the only people that make me travel are the people I feel a huge responsibility to, you know? And like maybe friends that I kind of call family that like my kids call aunt and uncle. But like I don't just travel for anybody because traveling takes work and I have four little kids now. We're about to jump in the car and, and drive 12 hours uh, in, a, in a couple months down to Dallas, Texas. And just the thought of that is like mentally exhausting. And then we're trying to like figure out like, man, maybe we could like combine that with a trip because my wife's from Dallas, I'm from uh, New Orleans. Maybe we can combine the trips and we can like save some time and do this triangle drive. But I like, it's like the Bermuda Triangle. You just get lost <laughs> and you don't remember a thing from it. You know, I have the easier job. I literally drive the whole time. Poor Allison, man, she just, she's in the back. She's doing the snack thing, you know, it's tough. And so we don't travel easily. And if we do travel, you better be family. Right? Am I right? Tychus is about to travel across the Aegean to see who? People he goes to church with. Right? Like, think about that. Like, I love all of you, but I don't know how much I'd travel for all of you. Right? We walk in here, we're like, brother, sister. But man, Tychicus saw them as family. And this is the only thing I really want you to grab out of this. It's, it's not crazy insightful, but I think it's, it's, it's pointed enough that we need to hear it. That when you step into the family of God, okay, when God becomes your father, you have spiritual siblings, all right? And there's an appropriate level of responsibility that Tychicus takes on because of that. And it's making him travel. It's making him show up in person. It's making him realize then that a letter, even a letter written by the great apostle Paul isn't enough. That I gotta see him face to face and I gotta encourage their hearts and that's worth it. And I want you to think about what that did to take his career plans. Like what did he have to put on the, on the side with hopes of promotion so that he could be a part of new creation work? And again, we, we dignified creation work last week. I spent a lot of time on how to honor God with the, the best hours of your day. But as the Christian, there's, there's a flip side to that. There's new creation work because we see the bigger picture. We see the redemption that God is working and bringing about. So it is an honorable thing and a right thing and a good thing to not bury ourselves in just creation work, but to give our hand to new creation work. 
to see the gospel spreading, to see the church flourishing, to see brothers and sisters encouraged in the faith. Amen? Now, I'm not saying that you need to go to Cancun with your city group. That might be actually kind of awkward and weird because it's hard to sit for like two hours in the den with them. You can laugh at that. Sometimes it is. It's like, I don't know these people. I'm showing up. This is tough. What We get that. That's why we program out community because we're not good at it, people. We're not. If we were, we wouldn't have to have programs called city groups. They're programs. But we need each other. We need to connect. And man, I, I hope that our city groups produce community that then you do travel to Cancun or wherever and have some fun with people. But I just want us to grab that simple picture of what Tychicus is doing here. And I'm filling in the blanks. I'm taking a little liberty. But he's somebody that, that experienced just gospel ministry in the province of Asia, in Ephesus, probably saw these revivals and these riots, got to just hear Paul preach in such a powerful way, and he goes, man, I, I want to put my, my career on hold, and I want to travel with you for some time. And if he's anything like Paul, he's probably working on the side. He's doing some different stuff. And then he's traveling back just to encourage this Ephesian church face-to-face. -face. He's making margin for both. All who are redeemed are called to redemption work. That is not just the responsibility of those that get their paycheck from the church, of those that wear the title pastor. Right? Every member a minister is how we talk about it here at Embassy. That actually my job is actually to equip the saints to do the works of ministry. When I became a pastor, I left the ministry. That's how the Bible talks about it. Ephesians 4. All who are redeemed are called to redemption work. All new creations are called to new creation work. So I just want you to consider, as you think about the daylight hours that God gives you, think about the, the energy and the skills and the aptitudes and the passions and even the sufferings and struggles you have, how are you applying that to building the kingdom of God, to doing work that'll last, to leaving a legacy so that one day somebody absolutely forgets your name, just like Tychicus. But your legacy's not lost because you're building beyond this world. It's a powerful and hopefully empowering idea. Okay, Tychicus, a forgotten name, but a forever legacy. How is this possible? Well, I want you to look at these last two verses, okay? These last two verses, 23 and 24. Because this is going to give us um, just a, a succinct picture of the gospel. Actually, before I do that, I actually, I, I try not to embarrass some people in this church, um, and everybody just sunk in their chair. Um, but I, I want to commend somebody in this church. A, a week ago, I had the privilege to go to City Hall. And one of our own, um, actually a gentleman who moved from Iowa to help us launch this church. He's a strike team leader for us, just an awesome servant. Uh, his name's John Beaker. I don't know if you're here, John. Um, but um, I'm going to embarrass you for a second in the best way. John stood up in, in our city hall here in Bloomington uh, with the mayor, with the police chief, everything like that, uh, and he raised his right hand, and he put his, is that right? Yeah, he put his left hand on the Bible. Um, his hand was over it. My hand was under it. I was standing there with him holding the Bible, and he took an oath to actually become a police officer in the Bloomington Police Department. Now, John has dreamed about this since as long as I've known him. 
Like I met him as a student at Iowa State. We sat down and got coffee. He's like, man, I think God's leading me to come move to Indiana and help y'all plant this church and just get a job and work and live and play in the city um, for the glory of God. And I'm like, dude, that sounds awesome. And actually the first time I met John um, wasn't the first time I met John because he said, you know, we met before. And I don't know if you have this experience like in your workplace, but whenever anyone says that to me, I, I just swallow because I'm like, because I meet a lot of people. And, um, and the way he said it was like, hey, um, not only have you forgotten that we met before, but it actually was kind of embarrassing. Um, so uh, he called me out for embarrassing him the first time we met. And I was like, oh, you're that guy. And I had to apologize. <laughs> and I'm like, I am so sorry. That is a terrible first impression. Let's start over. So that was the second time I met John where we had coffee. He says, I want to come. He wants to be a police officer. He comes here and it doesn't work out. And he tries again a year later and it doesn't work out. And so John started cutting trees. John's working around town, cutting trees to the glory of God. And if you talk to him about it, man, he would see it that way. That he's out there, he's keeping people safe. He's cultivating creation. He has a creation work. You know, and if you looked at John's hand in the Bible and mine, right? I have pastor hands. He has man hands. <laughs> he had calluses and all this kind of stuff. Like I shook his hand and I was just like, man, Keyboard hands, right? That's what I have. Anyway, self-deprecating humor. I have a pastor body as well. John, John does not. He lifts limbs. But John did all that to the glory of God. But, but John said this when we were talking. We had lunch. He said, you know what? I think about those two years, two years, and I just told him how proud I was. I was like, so proud of you for sticking with this for really not seeing his drudgery, drudgery, for not seeing his, man, God's not answering my prayers. God's answering your prayers, and he's putting you where he wants you. John said, you know what I love about these two years, um, now that I'm stepping out of it, is I, I, I love the people that got to show up. So I was there from embassy, but there were about 15 other people there, and they were all from his tree-cutting crew. And they all stood up there and took a picture with him. And John said, you know what? I made it my aim in those two years not just to cut trees and steward God's creation, but to do that new creation work. And that's some of my language. But he said, I was intentional in those two years because we just spent a lot of time together to try and share the gospel with every single person on my crew. And some people laughed at me. They didn't want anything to do with it, right? But I just said, bro, I applaud you. As somebody who just, who gets it, if you will, a, a Tychicus who's, who's doing both creation work and new creation work. And one's not better or worse than the other, right? There might be a priority there, but they're both glorifying to God. And there's so many of you that I, I don't have time to share stories like that, that I hear this and you get it. And I think, man, what would embassy be like if we got this even more? And then what would our city be like, right? If worship didn't just happen here, but it happened out there with half the waking hours of our day. And there wasn't 250 people in this room, but there are 2,500 people in a different room, God willing. Because <laughs> that starts to change culture. That starts to transform things. That starts to, to do what you see in Acts 19 and 20 when the world's turned upside down and there was revivals and riots. That's what happens when the gospel really roots itself in your heart. And this is what I want to leave us with in 23 and 24 of where this comes from. The Apostle Paul closes this letter the same way he begins it. 
he highlights the hope of the gospel, okay? And I want to make this just super clear as we close out. The gospel is good news. That's what it means. It's good news, okay, that because now God is our Father, we're no longer his enemies. We're now his children. We have peace. Look at the language in here. Peace be to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news that because Jesus is now our Lord, we have been rescued from sin and judgment, and we've been loved with the greatest love. A love that laid its life down for us. A faithfulness to the Father when we were faithfulness. The gospel is that our sin was laid upon Jesus so that his righteousness could be lavished upon us. The gospel is that our judgment or the judgment we deserved was exercised upon Jesus so that his honor could be extended to us. The gospel in two words is unfair favor. It is not fair. And if you're a Christian, you know this, and this has made you weep. This has become sweet to you. This has become beautiful to you. In 24, it says, grace be to all. But he doesn't stop there. Grace be to all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus. The defining mark of a Christian is this. Because it's easy to pick this Bible up or that children's Bible up and look at, man, a bunch of heroes to emulate, wrong, or a bunch of rules to follow, wrong. If I could just boil it down, this book is about God's love for you. And the mark and measure of whether or not you get it is whether or not you have an undying love for Jesus in response. It's a love that ought to be unending, unbending, and everlasting. It's a love that lives on long after everything else is lost. It's an eternal love. And there should be a sense when you read this and you think about it that you actually, at least I did this, you go, man, do I have an undying love? And where does that come from? How do you get it? What does that look like? And I, I, again, I don't want to leave you with what you ought to do. The gospel is not about ought. It's about all. It's about what God has done, okay? But I want you to hear this if you go, man, I, I don't know if I could say I have an undying love for the Lord. An undying love for the Lord is a response to the Lord's dying love for you. It's a response to understanding the gospel and what we're going to see as we enter the Easter season and the cross of Christ, okay? And every Christian in here would tell you if you sat down with them, that it's not a love that you find, it's a love that finds you. When you think about the cross, this is what Jesus said. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You need to understand what a dying love or what the dying love of Jesus actually meant. Again, unfair favor. 
unfair favor, that you got everything he deserved and he got everything you deserved. And when that starts to take your breath away, things start to change. Things start to look different inside of you. And you can't maybe even put words to it. You can't articulate it. But, but man, something happens. And that's the hand of God working in your life. And it starts to tra- change you and change you. And it starts to move you out. Like Tychicus. What I want to leave you with is not what Tychicus did because his undying love was a response to what Jesus did. A response to an unending, unbending, everlasting love. A response to a forever after, fairy tale ending, all enduring, ever overcoming love. And I want to invite you. You might have come here as family. But if you've never experienced that kind of love, if you've never heard of that, if you've never tasted that, if that's never just like, just rocked you, would today be different for you? What we say every morning when we pray, it might be an ordinary day for you, but God, make it an extraordinary day for someone else. Would it be an extraordinary day for you? The Bible is super clear. You don't have to do anything to to earn any of this. You just have to receive it as a gift. And you have to say two things. I'm sorry and thank you. That's all repentance and belief is. I'm sorry and thank you. And my hope would be, again, that you heard something here that makes you say that in the quietness of your seat right now in response. And if you do, that you tell somebody about it. And to you Christians in here, Embassy Church, as we close out, take a page from Tychicus, right? If you know the undying love or the dying love of the Lord, let your name be forgotten, but don't let your legacy. Build something that lasts, and let's use the best hours of our day to do it. Let me pray that we be that kind of church, and then we can sing all the songs that say all the right things about who God is and what he's done for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it guides us. It makes us wise unto unto salvation, yes, but it guides us in every aspect of life. We thank you that we have a creation work and a new creation work, and you invite us into something that's so much bigger than ourselves, that will far outlast this life, and we want to give ourselves to it. We want to give ourselves to what you're doing in this city through this church. We are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that you prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. So help us walk by your spirit that we might fill those footsteps and help us to build your kingdom. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you for the privilege to work, to work redemptively for your glory. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.